Hey everybody, welcome back to the Identical Draw podcast. <clears throat> We've got a good one for you today. We've got special guest Ben O'Brien on. Man, this guy's been in the industry for a long time. We kind of discuss his upbringing with the hunting stuff, and then, man, he was all over from doing a lot of journaling, um, and then obviously worked at Yeti, worked at Meat Eater, now kind of doing his own thing with a bunch of different podcasts. He's got, man... He's got some serious guests. He, he's a great, I mean, he knows so many people, but he's a great podcast host and it was mm-hmm. great having him on. Like we, we set, we didn't want to go over an hour with him just out of respect for his time. But I mean, he could have talked for three hours. Yeah, for sure. He, uh, he kind of headbutted this new project called hunt in common, um, which man, so similar to new org. It's like a mentorship program, um, where he basically wants to foster like lifelong mentors for new hunters which is awesome. Um, man, we'd love to do something with him at some point. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoy the podcast. We got to get to our podcast spot sponsor vortex. I, I, I I'm just going to plug their vortex wear because their stuff's awesome. Um, they'll come out with fall stuff, get your hats. They've got some really awesome cold weather hats that we actually wear on hunts. And obviously any listener here knows that you can use our code ID 20 at the vortex wear and, uh, get 20% off. It's, on vortexoptics.com and then you can go to their apparel and uh man get you some get you some merch well we put we put a lot of work and money into this thing and it's like Hey, yeah, it's. I get frustrated because you think that's going to solve every problem, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Obviously, so. mm-hmm. but yeah, I got the old uh, roadie. Yep, that's that what called? we're rolling over here too. Girl. Yep, it, I like it, man. I like it. Uh, we've had you know issue after issue with everything from Zoom to Squadcast to cords in here and everything else, but you know, in reality, little problems rather than big ones. Mm-hmm. No doubt. All right, dude. Well, we seriously appreciate you taking the time with us here. Um, we've got a whole gamut of some things we're going to chat about. Um, have some elk talk. Um, want to get into the kids conversation. Want to get into some turkey hunting conversation. Um, want to dive into some hunting common stuff. Um, yeah, we got some listener questions for you. So we'll kind of be all over the place. I mean, I'm easy. Just hit me in. I haven't talked about it before. I'm sure I'll figure it out. Yeah. Just uh, if something comes to mind, just feel free to ramble as much as you want. So this uh, this Zoom meeting might cut out on us. Um, it hasn't before, but it keeps threatening it will. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> if I've it does, there. we'll just. I've been there, man. Re. I've been there. Cool. All right. Um, so yeah, we'll just start up we'll, uh, with, uh, we'll pre-record all that stuff. So let's just oh, okay. get it. Yeah. Let's just are dive right in. Good to go. Yeah. yeah. I'm ready to go when you are. All right. All right, guys. You guys want me to record, you guys want me to record on my side and then send you the file or it doesn't matter. That'd be awesome. If, if you, if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Hit record. There you go. Sweet. All right. We are live action guys. This week we have a very special guest, Ben O'Brien. Um, he was kind enough to. Message me back on Instagram. Most people aren't. Um, and he's going to be, uh, we're going to be, I mean, hitting him with the whole gamut. 
of questions yeah. um, from elk hunting, some talk about some kids, some turkey hunting chat. Um, and he's got a whole bunch of new stuff going on. So, um, yeah, kind of want to just get right into it. You have some serious guests on the podcast you host. Um, so kind of talk about the new thing you got going with your podcast and some of the recent guests you've had on. We Elk hunting is kind of on the mind right now. So maybe, maybe yeah. uh, talk about who yeah. you've had on lately. Yeah, I mean, we're doing a bunch of different things. I feel like my my own interests are varied, like everyone else probably. I'm not, I don't fall into the only obsess over one species category. Although I appreciate people that yep. do, because it makes life a lot simpler if you only care about whitetails. Yeah. Uh, sure. No, yep. no offense to guys like Mark Kenyon. I love him, but it's, <laughs> it's like a hard life to live, I feel. Yeah. So for me, we started with Woodside back in February, which to me was was... I'm a journalist by trade. At least I like to think of myself that way. I have a degree to say such. And so when I see issues in the outdoors, we just did a couple of episodes on mountain lions in Texas. So when I see issues in the outdoors mm-hmm. that I feel like need, you know, a skeptical eye, someone to kind of sort through the messy rhetoric and, and conversations we normally hear online and other places, that's that's where I find passion. And so that's really what Woodside is becoming and what I really wanted it to be. But it's also just finding people that are interesting and breaking open their knowledge and, and presenting it as such. So that's that's Woodside for me, really being able to take what I learned in journalism school and apply it to what I care about and what I've been doing for the last, I'd say, about 14 years in, in the hunting industry. So that's, that's that yeah. part. But then, you know, I couldn't do anything without having, you know, a turkey hunting podcast because I think I love that. As much as anything, I think about that as much as anything. Same thing with elk. I, I'm, it's, it's a 1A to, to my turkey passion these days. And so we created mm-hmm. Roost, which I co- co-hosted with Sam Soholt. And then we created Wallow, which I co-hosted with my buddy Sam Lundgren, a former mm-hmm. Meteor colleague over there. And um, those are their, it's their own podcasts on our network, the Woodside Media Network. So all that stuff exists there. There's also a podcast I did with my buddy who's a animal rights activist and vegan called Hunter and Vegan. So to me, I just have so many different interests and I'm, this is a way to kind of lay those out there. And if somebody just wants to learn about elk, we have that. And you asked about guests, you know, that podcast, we had guys like Remy Warren and Corey Jacobson and Randy Newberg, who is my, is fast becoming my favorite human on the face of the earth. Uncle Randy. Yeah. (laughs) So there's a ton, man. I, I, been blessed to meet and be around a lot of really cool hunters and and people in our industry so um they've all kind of mm-hmm. stepped up and and now that i'm just doing it on my own they've they've all been willing to join me and spend time talking about those things yeah that's sweet well i'd love to hear and you can tell people like the last i mean you said 14 years in the outdoor industry i would love a quick timeline of kind of like where you've been what you've been doing um to bring yourself here now being able to run the podcast but also have these guests because like that's i mean that's tough to get that to that point to have solid relationships with all these people that are really professionals at what they do so give us a quick timeline yeah i will say before i start with the timeline that i was talking to sam lungan we were on the elk mountain uh saturday and we were talking about how tortured it is to be friends with the best hunters (laughs) exactly no matter what you do you're like (laughs) dude i'm getting pretty good i'm getting pretty good but yeah. no matter what you do, you're yep. like, oh, Ryan Lampers is better than me. Like, there's nothing. Yep. I don't know that I'll ever 
I'll ever achieve his his greatness or his obsession. So there is there is a bit of a curse when it comes to hanging around those guys and, and knowing how just how yep, yep. authentically good they are. Um, you know, timeline wise, I like when I came out of college again. I I went to journalism school and wanted to be a writer, um, and pretty quickly became a sports writer, and then realized that that sucked and that I, I didn't want to spend my life – I really didn't want to spend my life writing about what other people did, their exploits, their greatness, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and just being a fan of something and, and covering it like I did with sports for a couple of years. I just felt like I was losing some of my own passion for it. Um, and so I quickly discovered that you could actually write about hunting and, and make a decent living. So I came out of college and Got a job at uh, the NRA, National Rifle Association, as their first ever digital editor for their magazine, um, mm. American Hunter. I was kind of the web kid for a while when I was in my early 20s. Gotcha. All the magazine guys thought yeah. I was annoying. The fact that I even needed to be there, that was the beginning of Twitter, the beginning of, well, it was well before Instagram, kind of the beginning of Facebook. And and uh, to my to my editor colleagues, my, my 40 and 50-year-old editor colleagues, a 22-year-old web editor was like the lowest form of human. <laughs> at that time mm-hmm. um yeah but i got to travel and hunt and write and kind of see that this industry was was something that i was going to try to stick in as long as they would have me and um and then i just got a ton of chances after that i i got a chance to go work at peterson's hunting um at the time it was intermedia and they had north american whitetail peterson's hunting um you know think of a, a magazine that's popularized in a niche culture like wildfowl is for waterfowl I got to be the digital editor for all those publications and work with all those editors and hunt around the world and do that, um, you know, and write cover stories for Peterson's hunting and uh, eventually took an editor job there. And then, and then realized at some point that, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of room. I don't want to say for real journalism, but for the kind of journalism I wanted to practice within that corporate media environment in the hunting space, there was a lot Mm -hmm. of, pay to play there was a lot of if you advertise we don't talk bad about you and i always felt mm-hmm. like i always felt like especially in firearms but really people are spending a lot of money to have us tell them what's good and what's not good and they're trusting us um so i always felt i just didn't feel right about that my i felt like a lot of frustration in that world even though i enjoyed the gig i was lucky to have it um and so i started thinking about you know is this is this going to be the path for me and just about that time uh, i got a phone call from this lady that worked at this company called yeti i didn't know what the hell that was they they made cups i thought this this is a nice cup i didn't know anything about coolers really um they you know was kind of hesitant to even talk to them because to me at the time of course marketing was a bit the enemy to journalism at some level Mm -hmm. Um, and then headed you know they asked me come down check it out it was so early in the company that they were just had their first real office that they were starting and i i want to say there was maybe 90 people that worked there um and i got to see the culture see the people we talked about how storytelling and hunting and conservation mixed and that's what they wanted to do and that was their goal and i walked out of that building and that interview begging them for a job after i was (laughs) skeptical walking in the door um, so yeah, I moved sure. to Texas and, and spent three years helping build that brand and being a part of its growth. It was an awesome time. That's, that's really where I got to meet, uh, many of the folks I now call friends and, and, and dive deeper into the industry and, and understand kind of a brand's perspective on things, um, and other 
you know, other really important things that have driven me to this point. So I enjoyed, that was, you know, probably the best three years of my entire career professionally. It was fun. We had, Mm -hmm. we made films, we had parties, we just grew that brand. And it was, there was a lot of serendipity in how that grand, that brand grew, Mm -hmm. but we had a lot of latitude to do things we wanted to do and, and was able to support a lot of people, a lot of conservation organizations, a lot of up and coming characters in our world. Um, so that was a, it was a fun time. Um, and then this guy, Steve Rinella, this guy, Steve Rinella called me one November. I was on yep. a whitetail hunt and he called me up and he was like, and I've known Steve for quite a while. And he said, Hey, uh, I'm starting this media thing and I want, want you to come, you know, be a part of it. And, uh, he, that dude's my hero still to this day. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was kind of, I was giggly to my, call my wife all giggly. Like, Oh, Steve Rinella, <laughs> he just called me. Um, and I've known Steve for quite a while at that point, but he was mm-hmm. still somebody I looked up to a ton and. Mm-hmm. So it took us a while to kind of work out what it was going to be, but eventually I, I agreed to move to Montana and be part of, of Meat Eater and spent three years growing that from, you know, just a few people to uh, over 100 when I left. And, you know, the question that everyone likes to ask me nowadays is why did I leave? <laughs> so I'll just yeah. – <laughs> I'll address that all out front. Yeah, I just, you know, yeah. I've, I've learned through my career that, you know, these corporate – deals they change they grow they become their own thing when you start them they just do not uh resemble what what is really happening when they grow to that level and and for me i know where Mm -hmm. i'm i'm best suited and that's in that you know early stage honeymoon stage if you will before things become overly process oriented and overly corporate Uh, and that's Mm -hmm. that's just a natural progression of any business and for me it was like i know um, it's probably time for me to move on. And I felt at the, the stage that I'm at in my life that I could do my own thing. And so, uh, mm-hmm. so here I am doing my own thing, sitting in, build a podcast studio in Bozeman and having to go at it on my own. Yep, for sure. Man, those, <clears throat> those decisions, I feel like you, uh, had a pretty helpful, like, um, progression to be able to like give you the the mind power to make those decisions for yourself. Cause I feel like a lot of people don't have those experiences to like really push them and have the confidence to do it. But it seems like, I don't know with your outdoor industry upbringing, it seems like, man, it's just like the perfect storm for you to be able to really have the confidence to do your own thing at, I mean, at this stage, which is freaking awesome. Um, <clears throat> rolling back really quickly, a couple yeah. of minutes, uh, what Ben was saying, I remember like the first time I realized like the pay to play, like, what the article I was reading was like the best three best broadheads that we recommend. And like, I like when I was young, I was like, I put weight on those articles. And now it's like, what (sighs) most of the times you like cannot trust, like who can pay the most to get their broadhead in that article. And I remember the first time figuring that out, that it might not be the best broadhead. It was Mm -hmm. like gut crunching. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like in the outdoor space, I was just talking to my wife. I'm like, man, sometimes I just get frustrated seeing the, I feel like the best guys, like the best hunters out there, like, like stay, I don't know. So some of them like are in the media and like, you can really like take like, the, I mean, I look at Remy Warren. I'm like, that dude kills. Like that dude is an excellent hunter. And then there's other guys where I'm yeah. like, I'm like, man, you like, you have a giant business around you, but <clears throat> I just don't know, like, if you're actually thrown out to the wolves, like, where every, like, average Joe hunts, how how you do, like, just being completely honest. But that's just something that the outdoor industry, that's just always going to be a part of it. Um, it's just 
what you got to deal with. But I want to get into um, your recent elk hunt. Man, I've been following in on the stories. Where are you at with that whole thing? I know you're going to do a podcast, so don't spill the beans, but like, where are you at with it all? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know this, this year I just felt like I, I was going to hunt by myself. That was my first thought coming into mm-hmm. this year. I, I'll start maybe near the beginning and it goes to what you guys were just saying. I was in, you know, working in the industry, I was given a lot of really fancy elk hunting opportunities. I always tell yep. people, if you would walk into my house now, you'd be like, this dude is an elk hunter. Look at all these giant elk. Look at them. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. Oh my God. <laughs> this guy is the best. But the reality was I was in the bucket that you guys were talking about. I was getting provided really awesome outfitted elk hunts in the industry as part of my job, whether it was writing mm-hmm. a story or whether it was uh, a sponsor deal for Yeti or whatever it might've been. I was getting a lot of really great opportunities. Some of them I capitalized on beautifully. Some of them I messed up, but I generally got um, access to things that just normal folks wouldn't get access to. And through that experience, I realized that I didn't, I, w- I had killed a lot of elk, but I wasn't an elk hunter. I couldn't call. I, mm-hmm. If you put me in public land, I'd probably, I would fumble around and, and, and that was to me a personal thing. I was like, man, whatever people think of me, my abilities one way or the other, I have to personally become an elk hunter, especially if I'm going to live in Montana. Mm-hmm. I have to go out yeah. and do it and I have to not take any help. I have to go do it in, in a place that's going to be harder than most. And in 2018, when I moved here, I decided that and sure as shit, it took me a couple of years of pure failure. I mean, of like, of there were some mm-hmm. days you would have talked to me in 2020. I, during the pandemic, when I was, I was elk hunting, you, I would have said, man, I, I don't know if I'll ever, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever get this done. So it was, it was not, it was not <laughs> yeah. fun for me. It was really not fun um, yeah. going through that because it was a bit there. You have pride, you have ego, you have all these things. Um, you've been in the industry all this time. You want to, to feel competent. So I went through mm-hmm. two years of feel, feeling incompetent at it. And then last year yep. finally was able to figure it out and get it done. And it was the best feeling I've ever had in the woods the, that bull that I shot is, it's not the biggest bull in the world, but he's hanging in the studio here. I put him there for a reason because to me it was like, man, all those giant elk in my house mean so very little to me compared to what that bull means because I, yeah, because mm-hmm. I had to, I had to reset what my expectations were, what I needed from hunting. I had to challenge myself to, to do it. And so this year, following up on that, I'm like, I, I really want to continue to push, push upon that. I don't want to have anybody with me calling. I don't want to have anybody mm-hmm. with me to say, Hey, I'll call you run up and shoot that bull. Um, I didn't want that. And so I started the season on my own in a pretty people filled. <laughs> I've run into, we called in a guy on Saturday. <laughs> um, I've called in many yep. a guy this year. None of them, uh, by yep. by have seen me. They all must think mm. they called in an actual elk. Um, but it's there's a lot of people in the area where I hunt. Um, there's there's a lot of elk, but it's it's kind of a private public border area, which makes it really tough because mm-hmm. they can they can get past you and into no man's land almost um, without trying. So it's it was again challenging myself to to figure out that equation, and I was hunting by myself. So I walked in the 15 minutes into the first day of elk season. I called three bulls responded. I walked down the hill about a hundred yards, got set up in this little meadow and 
out popped a nice six point and came into 45 yards and stood quartering hard to me didn't give me a shot went off called in another bull he came at 100 yards circle downwind um, and spent the rest of the next three or four days of the, the opening of the season which was really hot smoky and kind of uh, conditions mm-hmm. were, were poor I spent this covered up in elk having all kinds of crazy encounters fired up bulls chasing cows all around me passing up some raghorns um in the same elk pretty much every day and so i got to know the elk that were there and then the fifth day i had been hunting uh, a herd bull that is pretty damn big um we've been calling him ghost because you can never quite get a look at it and he, to this day i've never gotten yeah to this to this day i've never gotten more than 30 seconds look at his full rack i mean he is yep he knows how to travel the timber um and so the fifth day i'm walking in going after this big bull i know where he is i can hear him bugling actually walking around this ridge and then i hear another bugle uh about 150 yards away and i thought well i'm gonna i'm not i'm not good enough at this that i'm gonna ignore that so i cut the distance Mm -hmm, about 50 yards i cut the distance about 50 yards hit the call and this bull this you know three and a half probably three and a half year old nice six point comes on a string right into me um comes into 10 yards bugles his head off i can't get a shot goes out to 50 yards behind a tree bugles his head off can't get a shot and he's he's just yo-yoing for i don't know felt mm-hmm. like felt like a long time it was probably 10 minutes or 15 minutes and finally he gives me a shot his heart and his lower body is is blocked by a bush so i draw and i just think i gotta be you know center lungs is about what i had i'm like i want to go a little bit higher than that just i don't want to hit this bush it's it's it was a 33 yard shot which is exactly you know my porch to my 3d elk in my backyard is exactly like 34 yards i'm like well this is perfect yeah (laughs) i draw draw and i just remember thinking a little bit higher than you think and and let the arrow go and it went a little bit higher than i wanted and he ran Mm -hmm. up he ran up the hill and into the timber and almost immediately uh i thought i was confident i thought it was a little higher than i wanted but man it was right in there uh, when he's running up mm-hmm. the hill, I could see him kind of stumbling. I thought he's going to be a couple hundred yards piled up, but I'll give him some time. So I backed out, took a seat, was having a Snickers bar, and I got surrounded by, I don't know how many coyotes, six, seven, a whole pack of coyotes comes out of the timber, mm. sur- surrounds me, they're yipping, they're running into me at 10 yards, running back. Um, and I just I had white-tailed deer walking around me. I just thought, man, what a cool, what a cool experience. This is, if this is my bull for this year, I'm, I'm, amazingly happy and then uh about three hours later i went to look for blood there was no i never found any blood not a single drop of blood really um Mm. the arrow was buried up damn near to the fletchings on the entrance side and i you know i could see where he was was moving through the timber so i followed his tracks thinking i'm gonna see some blood on a tree he's gonna swipe something he's gonna spray some blood he's gonna there's gonna be a drop or something off the arrow Never found anything. After a couple hundred yards, I looked through the timber and I could see an elk's butt. And I was like, man, that's got to be him. So I just kind of stayed there, belly crawl. I could never see whether it was him or not. Um, but, I mean, I was sure it was. And he kind of just moved off up the ridge and never found blood, never found him. Grid searched still. I mean, still to this day, I'm walking around that same area looking for him, busting through timber. Never found blood, never found him, never found the arrow. Um and that's of all the mistakes I made in the woods that I was thinking that's the, I think that's the first time that I've put an arrow or a bullet in something and not recovered it. Um, 
I didn't say that publicly because yep. I, I didn't say that publicly because I thought that would sound like a douche move. So I guess now I'm saying it publicly. <laughs> but I think <laughs> as I racked my brain on all the things I've done in hunting, I think that's yeah. the first time that I that I've wounded mm-hmm. something and not recovered it. I've certainly wounded things and found them later mm-hmm. and and other things like that. So it was tough, man. It was tough, and I just felt like because I was telling a story on on social media, I needed to tell the whole thing, and so I did my best to kind of run, yeah. run people through. Uh, what I thought my emotions and kind of uh, how much it sucked and and what I was about to learn um, and I've had a, a incredible feedback from that that people ex- appreciated that mm-hmm. so that's that's definitely been a been sure. a good part of it all yeah what's your gut say Ben like is that is that bull dead or do you think he's still running around my gut is all messed up man <laughs> my gut, my gut was my gut was that he was dead right away and then you spend yeah i don't know if this happened to you guys i imagine it happens to other people you spend all this time second guessing what you everything mm-hmm. you thought everything you saw what could have happened wrong that went wrong what you could have saw that tricked you um my gut is that he's alive and that i just i was hope too hopeful in my shot placement and i hit him in the no zone that spot between mm-hmm. the spine and, and the lungs there that yep that is just a flesh wound essentially um, yep. that's my gut. And it's after va- you know, going back and forth and vacillating about what actually happened, what I saw, but I think he's, I think he's alive. And every time I get glass on a bull in that same area, I'm hoping, wishing and praying to see an arrow or a wound or something that would tell me that's him. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of why I'm stuck in the same zone. I just don't know that I can go hunt somewhere else where I, you know, if I can get a chance to take a look at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, my biggest white tail ever. I hit there and never recovered. Um, he lived. The he's uh, <clears throat> on our buddy's farm, kind of central Nebraska, and he was. I don't know. I don't know if he hit one sixty, but he was a. I mean, he was a big giant deer, and it was like the most insane hunt ever. We hunted him four days in a row, th- three days straight. He was on the north side of the river, and then finally our last evening to hunt, he was on our side. Um, rattled him in from like three hundred yards got to about a hundred kind of lost some interest hit the antlers again he came in to like 58 and uh nowadays i'm not taking the shot but I, like i mean i was still young in the hunting experience and i was like mm, shooting a mechanical 58 yard shot <laughs> yeah put it basically where i wanted to but he ducked hard and hit him high barely any arrow penetration and we i mean we found blood on him um we tracked him for 100 yards and then it was just nothing there and he lived i mean that that area is just tough it's tough i don't know it's it it's so 50 50 <laughs> so ben were you yeah, were you like tech were you hunting like to the best of your knowledge re hunting ghost when this bull gave you the opportunity um or like when he bugled at you closer and you just decided to go try to get the closer bull is that what was happening yes yes and yeah. and to make things uh, incredibly worse as I was looking for this bull, as I was finding no blood and just starting, you know how you start high. Oh, and you gosh, just go, I know where you're going. You go one step lower, right? You start high. I've, I've I got this bull. It's like the fourth or fifth day of the season. I'm going to take the rest of the season, take out my buddies, and, and it's going to be all – last year I did the same thing. My European was on the wall in like September 12th. Mm-hmm. I was replaying that and how wonderful that was, how much grouse hunting I was about to do. It was going to be great. Yeah. yeah. And as I'm, I'm zigzagging in the timber trying to find this elk – the the ghost bull is bugling in the bottom the entire 
time for about an, mm-hmm. for about a five hour span, and I could hear him chasing cows. Wow, like three hundred yards away from me, and I just thought, no, no worries, man. I'm in a I'm in a position where I'm in this position where I because of the experience and the meat factor and just kind of all the things I all the goals I have outside of just tagging notch my own tag. I was excited. I didn't I didn't mind. I was like, I'll bring a buddy in here and we'll go try to get ghost. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I had to, I had to <laughs> listen to the, that, that bull scream for so long. Yeah. Uh, torturous. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I knew where he was the night before. I knew it was ghost for sure. Like I just, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I knew the wallow he visited. I knew the exact route that he walked to get there. I knew where his kind of dark timber hidey hole was where he just never, you know, his lair, lack of a better term. So I kind of had, I yeah. still have a good idea of his home range as it stands now. It, it will change soon, but as it stands right now, and and I knew, I knew that was him, and I knew I could get on him that day at a, as I had the other days. Um, but I also knew, like, I'm not, I'm not in a position to pass up a nice six point bull at thirty yards. <laughs> not gonna, not gonna happen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Not gonna happen for me. Maybe, yep. maybe one of these years, maybe ten years, fifteen years down the road. But for now, it's just just being able to to get that experience given where I started is good. Mm-hmm. That's like the exact same situation that you had with mm-hmm. uh, your muley, like mm-hmm. never shot a, a, a sand hill muley. And we were at, we were like chasing a, a bigger one, quite a bit bigger. And I think people are going to be confused in our episode, like, because we leave like a stock on like a big deer and then uh, stock like, we kind of thought where he was, but we weren't sure. Like, it's not like we had eyes on him. We were within 200 in. for sure. Yeah. Um, but then, like, we see, like, a younger, like, just a nice, like, four by four. And we, we leave because he had, it was just such a good opportunity. Like, we, we're not in the position yet to just pass that up. Yeah. Um, just, like, we knew pretty easily we could get within shooting distance of him. Yeah. Like, you just don't pass that up in that kind of environment. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to miss out on, I mean, he, he might be, I mean, I mean, quite a bit smaller, but it's like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to pass that up. It's no, it's too good of an opportunity, but yeah. Well, yeah. I wanted to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to get into okay. your, uh, I mean, do you have one kid or two. do you have, you have two, two, both boys or what do you got? Two boys. Yeah. One about to be six and one that's, you know, two and some change, two and a half roughly. So I wanted to chat about this cause we both have. Real, I mean, pretty young kids, um, two year old, and then you've got uh, basically a three and one and a half, one yeah. And, a half. Um, and uh, it's, I don't know. I wanted to get your take on how you've gotten. I mean, at least the oldest involved, because um, it's a sacrifice. Yeah. But like, and how much, how much do you try to get them involved? Because it seems like there's a real like specific limit to like what they like really want to do and will be interested in. Um, and also just like. Was it natural for them? Like, was it a natural, like, interest, or did you kind of have to harvest that in them, or chat about that? Yeah. It's one of the coolest and most interesting things in my life just to see. Because I think think you think – I think most dads think that they are driving. Right, they think you think you're making Mm -hmm. the decisions. You think you're you're you have more control than you have. Is my my opinion. I feel like a spectator a lot of times um, Mm -hmm. with my kids. Not not that I'm involved and I'm there, but like I I'm I'm gonna view what they want to do, and read that mm-hmm. first rather than try like to to strategize how I might get them to love the things I love or 
or try to plan a certain approach. I just watch them and and try to give them what I think they want or what they need. And with my older boy, my younger son is not quite there. He's fished a couple of times and he loves it. He's gonna. I think he's going to get there. Yep. Um, but when you're two, it's just it's things are such things are so developmental. It's 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 hard to pin it down. Right. But with my son now, he's about to be six. He just wants to be with me and mm-hmm. I, he sees how much I love it and he but he just wants to be wherever I am he's happy if we go pick up a sandwich at the store like he doesn't care yeah um we have pretty frequent like to to me we hang out all the time but to him those he understands how unique and I did as a kid as well I remember this I remember this very very vividly my dad was off on Tuesdays and I look forward to Tuesdays so much. Tuesdays was the best day mm-hmm. of the week and it just because it was our time together was rare in my childhood brain. Like this is this is a rare thing. I'm excited for it. So my my older son, that's that's where he is. But then I think I watched it turn in him. We started with fishing because there's a local pond right by our house and we I could take him there. We could fish for bluegills and sunnies and he could see it and he could feel it and he could understand it. I would just ask him questions. He would ask me questions and I would ask him questions. That was kind of how we did it. And I would always be like, you want to keep this fish? You want to throw it back? Like, what do you think about this? Is it gross? Is it like, is it fun? Like ripping heads off of worms? Like, what's that, what's that doing for mm-hmm. you, man? Like, what are you feeling about that? Yeah. Then we went to uh, yeah. catching crawfish. Then we went to uh, pretty quickly like the morels and we went to huckleberries and we went to just kind of these interactive treasure hunts that I think sucked them in even more. And then I felt at some point he was asking me to read him elk hunting and turkey hunting books. I mean, I think I've read him mm-hmm. the 10th Legion probably twice at this point. We have this old this yeah. old RMEF elk hunting tips. It's just an entire book of tips from members from like the 80s. Some of the tips are hilarious mm-hmm. given today's technology, but he has a little bookmark sure. and he has it by his bed. And as much as the experiences of taking him outside matter. I think those, those little associations where he chose that book, we went to Barnes and Noble and he chose that book. And that was when I was like, okay, this is now I get to follow him. He's telling me, he's informing me that he's ready now. And so we've been going through that process, you know, over the last year and a half. And this year he came to elk camp for a couple of days and we didn't really, we elk hunted. We didn't really run around the timber chasing bulls, but, um, I saw in him, you know, this, this spark that I think maybe I helped along, but I, maybe he could just see in me how much I loved it and he wanted to be there. So mm-hmm. as much as people for ask sure. for tips, I would just say you have to follow them. They're not, like, they're going to follow you wherever you go. You know, part of your job is to make that desire to be you a worthy outcome for their lives. Like you need to be that example. But at the same time, I, I feel like he's telling, he's telling me all I need to know you know, in terms of, of the yep. outdoors. Yep. For sure. That's cool. Yeah. Mine's too young to really, um, I don't know, get the gist, but I mean, Ridge Thompson is like, he's, yeah, I feel like he's starting to get the interest and in actually he, like, uh, understanding it. Yeah. Somehow like the other night, um, we were just talking about like watching hunting videos and, um, of course we like have our YouTube channel that we post our videos on. So we'll watch some of our stuff, but um, somehow got around to like wanting to watch an elephant hunting video. <laughs> so that's been his latest kick. I, I showed him one, probably a trophy guy. Yeah. I get, he might be an Africa guy. Um, but 
No, hopefully he uh, he stops. He's going to be a dentist. Yeah, he's going to be a dentist. Dentist, yeah. Yeah, it's but fun. it's 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 been fun just watching him like be able to shed hunt on our Kansas ground, and we'll get him out there and on a blind hunt on the Kansas ground. So yeah, he'll he'll do his first one this this fall. Yeah, it's something I'm greatly anticipating yeah. for the. I know everybody's like, you don't like make it slow down, like you don't want it to go too fast. I'm like, I get that, but I'm like, I want my kid to hunt with me <laughs> uh, before too long. I'm like, Hey, I know at some point, um, like I'd love my alone time in the woods, but I'm like, I'm going to, I'm really going to cherish when hopefully they have interest to, to join me. And I foster that in them or they foster it in themselves, however it works. But yeah, yeah, that's hard to pin down. You know, I, I, I thoroughly, the, my favorite thing in the world, I took my kid to kindergarten this morning just the drive there i love being with him i don't i would there's nobody i feel like he's cooler than most adults that i know like he's cooler to hang out with than most adults that i know yeah i love him and i love hanging out with him i don't care what we're doing i'm glad that you know a good portion of what we do involves what i love but i if he said man i'd rather not go up to that cabin i'd rather not go out to that stream i'd much rather go kick the soccer ball around which we do sometimes he recently mm-hmm. has gotten – he got a t-ball bat, and we throw – like last night we spent three hours throwing balls in the yard. I'm not a big fan of that, but he is, and I love being with him, and it doesn't really matter. So I just – Worked out. Yeah, man. I've, I've done a lot of things of my own, a lot of things with people. Um, this has been the most rewarding time for me these last couple of years, just being with him and, and learning who he is as a little dude and being able to – you know, to really commit to that and enjoy it and have that be my favorite thing that I do, uh, in my entire life. And it really is. And I don't know, I don't know any other way, but I imagine there's dads that just, just aren't on that wavelength. They would much rather be in the backcountry alone and their kids are just so, not an obligation, but they're just another thing in their lives that they do outside of their own passions. My passion is my kids and it has been so rewarding to like, to see those things come together. And, um, I'm happier than I've ever been, you know, living that life. Mm-hmm. Is it nice, Ben, to, I mean, to a point, like, you're able to, like, form your own schedule now, and maybe, like, with, like, when you've been with other companies, like, you, your hunting fall or spring, like, hasn't really been, like, your decision, like, where you're going. Like, is it nice to be able to kind of decide, like, what you're going to do and how much time you're going to be away? Is that Has that been a better change? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's been... I feel like this time you guys are little kids too. You know, it's like, this is the time where you're needed, man. There's going to be a time where you're not yeah. needed. I'm, I'm running on the time clock. And when I, when I watched, I let, let my kid out the door to the car to go to kindergarten this morning, he was like, see ya. And he just ran away and I got all emotional. Like, hey, <laughs> doesn't need me. Doesn't, walk need, me. doesn't need me to walk <laughs> him to the door anymore. Um, but that's like, there's, there's such a weight there. You know, there's a ticking time clock when they need you, but this is the time where, where my kids and my family need me probably more than ever um as their lives move so i you know i do want to be there and that's a was a big part of my life and then also a big part of my moving to montana because i knew i could do the things i wanted to do right out my back door and that's how it is right now so yeah my my older boy is going to go with us on or do a wall tent antelope camp uh here in a couple weeks for his birthday um in wyoming and then probably continue it in montana and then he's going to come to texas with me and hunt quail and big whitetail bucks and and we're going on a pheasant hunt next weekend a mentored pheasant hunt i'm just taking him along just to to be to be there and hang out so i can't tell you how awesome it is to to have that in my life and then also fight with the kindergarten teacher about how much time you can miss and i'm 
you know. Mm-hmm. So, sure, that's fun. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking. Let's just homeschool them, and then we'll never come back to <laughs> exactly. school. But yep. that's. So it's. I would say it's. It really is being able to, to make your own schedule, to work hard, and to get the reward of of that shared time with my, with my son and my best friend. Like, man, it's the best. It really is. And and all the other things in my life that aren't working out, <laughs> they they're they're so much lower down the totem pole that I have that to look to. You know, it's it's very grounding yep. as a. As a 36 year old guy trying to figure out life what you're supposed to do it's very grounding mm-hmm. to be able to return to your family and have it be that way you know have it be yeah the best thing yeah well what you need to do is you need to get this spring etched into your schedule and you need to come hunt turkeys with us in nebraska with him because we've got that dialed down pretty good so <laughs> oh man i owe him a turkey too man he hasn't got he hasn't been around yeah. when i've killed a turkey and i owe him one for sure because yeah. he got mad yeah. at me recently he's like can we go turkey hunting i was like man it's july we can't go and he was like come <laughs> on man <laughs> i was like it's yeah. not my Make rules it yeah, he's like it's not my rules he's like i know but we yeah. can go right and i'm like we can't go so he was upset at me yeah. as if i had made the rules uh season length i was like i don't yep. have that much power so i you know that yep that moment I was like, oh man, I think this kid's in, and I owe I owe him a strut and turkey. Mm-hmm. I owe him a strut and Tom for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think there's any better hunt for like mentorship and like right. youth than a good old turkey hunt where they could sit at the base of the tree next to you and you can call a big old Tom right into him. But um, man, so kind of speaking on the the mentorship thing, I'd love to hear about what you got with the hunt in common. And kind of the uh, <clears throat> idea behind why you wanted to start it up, um, t- kind of hit a, hit us up with what it is and that, like why you had the inspiration to start that up. Um, I you know you guys have been probably in the in the uh, debate of our times about promoting hunting and more mm-hmm. hunters coming in and and what that means for the current hunting community and the R three movement and those types of things. I certainly have been involved in that for a long time, thinking about that hard for a long time. And, um, one of the things I came to is that you you really can't, it's a personal thing. It's a one-to-one thing. It can't, Mm -hmm. it can't, there's no algorithm that can solve hunting in terms of its, like the passion for it, the acceptance for it, and really, uh, how people come into it. There's really no campaign that can solve that problem. There's no governmental policy Mm -hmm. that can solve our societal weight. You know, and the question I think is, is hunting good for our society? Most non-hunters are asking that question. So as I look at that, I was like, there's no way, you know, to introduce an R3 coordinator and have them fix that. I mean, there's just, there's no way. The way to do it is a one-to-one connection that's not, doesn't seem as scalable. Some people that want to see it fixed on a larger level, but focusing on that, that one-to-one. And so that's what, that's really what the hunt in common is. We started it, uh, I'll tell you how it got started, but it's it's long-term localized mentorship it's not we certainly will have events and communities um but we want to pair people up whether it's one-to-one or one-to-two where they live for a long-term relationship for whether it's six months to a year whether it's we've had we have multiple mentorships going now that have been multiple seasons um we have uh friendships that have formed we have guys uh driving we have a biotech engineer named nuri um who lives in LA, drives an Audi, wears Xavier sunglasses, and is like the LA dude that you would be thinking of, the picture of LA, yep. driving his Audi, 
up through all the traffic up to Chico, California to hunt with a dude he's never met, who's 10 years his junior, uh, who's a former NFL offensive lineman, who's 10 times his size. They grew up in completely different environments, completely different cultures, but they've come together around the idea that that Jordan, the, the former NFL player who's about you know, 280, 300 pounds is going to, in his, in his twenties and just got married is going to mentor a dude in his forties who's Asian and he lives in LA and he has, I think he has, I want to say near he has two kids. Um, the fact that that can happen is, is to me makes the point of that one-to-one connection that these, that, that these people have, pardon me using the title of the whole damn thing. What they, the only thing these two dudes have in common is a hunting at this point they don't come mm-hmm. from they don't come from sure. similar backgrounds they don't look the same they don't talk the same they they don't run in the same cultures but hunting brought them together and the younger of the two is mentoring the older and so we we keep seeing that over and over and over again across this country where there's this this idea that the bridge from being a non-hunter who's curious to being a hunter only happens if there's somebody walking across the bridge i mean it really happens holistically that way um and so our industry has been trying to figure that out i've been trying to figure that out i feel like what we have with the hunt in common is not different it's just additive you know if you go to let's say national deer alliance to field the fork events if you go to a field to fork event become a member of nda and go home and don't have someone to take you to the next level which is to show you how to do it as a lifestyle as a thing that you do um, every day we hope to be kind of the next step which is let's find somebody near mm-hmm. you that you have mm-hmm. access to that wants to take you and let's give you the reward of learning them, the reward of teaching. And then, you know, we're, we're a new organization, but we're, we're working on the solutions to some of the problems that, that exist in that environment. Um, we have, I like to say we have way more questions than answers at this point, but we've have those anecdotes. We have 54 year old divorce attorneys from San Francisco a, a, a female who's never hunted in her life and came to us and said, I just inherited a property from my family. I want to go hunting on it. Can you help me? We, you know, I, we have sales guys from Wisconsin. We have electricians from Nebraska. We have uh, tech guys from Boston. I mean, we have this, this insane smattering of people. Um, and so to go back to my original statement is like, man, it's the people that, uh, really mean the most to me like to see the one-to-one thing and then scaling it by just doing it in every state so we're going to have state chapters uh we're already really kicking off in california wisconsin we have roughly 30 other folks in states building their chapters um so we hope to have 10 to 15 20 mentorships per state times that by 48 or 50 and then we've got a real scalable movement that started with those personal relationships many of them unexpected many of them defy the stereotypes many of them are are just are man as organic as they come we haven't raised a single dollar that didn't come from a member a volunteer um hopefully that'll change at some point but to this point we've been able to build a website and 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 you know, set up a, a scaffolding, a structure for the organization, just with people saying, I want to give you some money to help you out, um, to get started. So, I mean, that's, it's, I know you guys do a lot of this too, and there's no panacea mm-hmm. for getting somebody into it and keeping them in it. But this has been for, for those who are emergent hunters who are adults and trying to figure it out. Um, 
man, there's a ton of bravery and, and especially, you know, like I mentioned Nuri, his, his family doesn't understand his, his parents are very traditional in the Asian culture. Um, they don't understand, but like they're supporting him, but they don't understand. And it takes a ton of bravery for him to come out of nowhere and say, I want to do this. I want to kill things and eat them and spend all this money and time to that end. Um, so we're, we want to really grab a hold of people like Nuri and, and say, it's, it's, there's some, something here for you that, that isn't just out to give, get your membership dollars. We're here to, to try to help, mm-hmm. help you find a community, uh, where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that, that's the way to go. We've, <clears throat> we've seen some of those same things with newhunter.org that you were talking about with just like people, like unlikely, I don't know, people meeting yeah. up and just having the best time together through this. Like, be- yeah. Be- before we had the platform, like we took out new hunters ourselves and they just kind of apply through our website and you just hear so many stories of, of different hunters, a lot from California. <laughs> um, and they like would be like, their family would be upset with them. Like all these people, they're going like above and beyond like what we had to do to get into hunting just because it's important to them, which is, which is pretty cool. And, uh, another thing I want to touch on is just the, you talked about it, Ben, like the one, the one, the one, one on two, it's like the retention that you get like with those relationships. Like when you're friends with somebody, like you're just, you're going to continue to hunt. And we saw, I mean, we've seen just like such high retention with these people that get involved and have like 90%. Just, yeah. Just such a good, such Same. a good mentor. Um, like, like you said, like people are, are traveling, they're driving distances to just go hunt with somebody that they met randomly, um, with the, with the one thing in common, um, just like you said, and it's, it's pretty incredible to, to see those relationships. Yeah. I've become like quite the evangelist for this stuff, man. I really have. I mean, I just, cause I've seen it. I've not taken out a new hunter. Maybe I'm biased. I definitely am, but I've become an evangelist for this because I keep seeing it time and time again. I keep hearing the stories time and time again. I had a lady, we did our launch event on crowdcast. We had about 300 people show up to it. And we had a lady cry about just uh, the availability of something like this in her life. She's a single mom. She, her son had special needs and she wants to take him out in the woods and give him something. Cause he doesn't have a father and he needs this immersion in nature. I'm like, dude, I don't know. Uh, there's other things I'm sure I could do that would result in that kind of effect on other people. But this one, it's pretty infallible. I haven't never taken somebody out there like, yeah, you know, I, I could, I'll do something else. Like I've just never had that experience. And, um, it only hardens like, you know, my appreciation for what you guys do and what other people are doing in the space to say like, this is, you're not, you don't get to say you're changing the entire hunting landscape maybe ever, if not, definitely not overnight. Um, the talking points are what they are, but it's like, dude, you got to do it one weekend at a time, one connection at a time. It's this guy has to go that way. It doesn't work any other way. Maybe this is like just an opinion I have, but I feel like the further east you go on the in like on the United States map, the more like people accept mentoring. Like I don't know, maybe it's just my perspective, but I feel like it's tougher to sell somebody on it out west. Have you um, had a lot of like people talk to you about it and like maybe like disagree with what you're doing? I, you know, I know they're out there for sure. Uh, I've, I have yeah. friends that are out there. Um, they, <laughs> a number of them said it to me, but I know what their opinions are. Um, yeah, man, I, I do. I think, 
look, you go back to this kind of rugged individualism of that, that hunting was born out of and, and that the kind of the sporting lifestyle was born out of this rugged individualist spirit. And, and in the 60s and 70s, even into the 80s, every hunting magazine had like, you know, dudes in flannel smoking cigarettes and chugging beer. And that was the archetype of what we looked to. And that's cool. I would have enjoyed the hell out of those camps, man. I would have got, you know, put mm -hmm. t 10 nice white tail bucks on, on a train and took them back into town. That's fine. Yep. I, but I think where we've come to, we're just going to battle those ideas. I think we see it, we see it in, in, across the hunting landscape. We see it in predator hunting. There's this, this, these baked in ideas that from, from landowners and ranchers that predators for very good reason to them are, are problematic and need to be, killed and managed and vilified in lots of ways as ungulate murderers um that is decades and decades of history with these ideas so i think we have that same idea in hunting around this this everyone's welcome everyone come on in we'll teach you um and then there's also this idea that i care about the resource so the one of the biggest threats to the resources i care about is us is me is you is our pressure upon them is our mismanagement of them. We have a, a fine history of fucking it up real bad. Uh, sorry if I mm -hmm. can't curse on here. <laughs> Very good. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think those entanglements exist. I don't have people coming at me every day, but I know they're out there. Um, I just, I just think, yeah, I agree. This is, this is not simple. This is changing. I fall back on my own personal experience and the stories I just told you. I don't know any, I don't know a way not to share this. I would, I would feel depressed not to be able to share this with somebody. So I worked hard at figuring out a way where I felt comfortable sharing it and I felt it was sustainable and I felt it was good for us. Um, knowing that there are threads to pull on within our communities and cultures that don't need it, that don't want it, that aren't, aren't there for it. Um, but I think that's probably anything that you do. I, like I said, I, my personal experiences have all been good, have all been rewarding. Um, and, boy it would be it would suck to not have that yeah man we i feel like we have <clears throat> sometimes such a hard time like convincing people to be mentors at least on, on the new hunter.org platform or just people we reach out to just because they think it's such a job and such a task and i'm like yeah. okay it's probably a little more work 100 percent. but i'm like you don't until you do it you don't understand like the benefits and passion you'll have for it afterwards i mean it 100 takes like a certain person but man there are a lot yeah. of people that would be great mentors that just think it's too much work or just don't think they mm -hmm. get get something out of it but man like our new hunter weekends nothing like stresses us out or like makes us work harder than those weekends but it's like afterwards dude we're like that was the best shit ever like mm -hmm. let's do another one next weekend like it's insane we just get so jacked up i mean people like we've had people get emotional i mean right now i could feel comfortable texting every single one of the new hunters we've taken out over the last few years because we like we're tight with them like we're close with the people that we've mentored and stuff yeah. and we stay up to date we get text messages and calls from a new hunter we've taken out every week for sure yeah. It's yeah. just like that's what yeah. that's what you've been talking about with like the long term mentorship and like you just have to be yeah. an open resource all the time. It, it it just won't you can really make an impact on a weekend, but it has to be long term. You have to be able to kind of go with them um, where they go. But 
Yeah. What you just yeah. what you just described is the is the basis of a community. You guys have created a community mm-hmm. around those people, around mm-hmm. yourselves. That's pretty awesome. That where people are sharing experiences and values and all kinds of really fancy terms. But what you've created is a community of people, and that's what like talk about what social media can't do. But what it can do is help create these things. Uh, but you have to actually do the work on the ground. You know, to be an influencer is not just posting pretty pictures of you doing things. Like there is, and it feels way better to do what you're doing. It feels way better to get to know somebody and to help them and to have them help you. And to your point about mentorship, I learn more about my hunting abilities and my ability to articulate hunting when I'm with a new person than I do mm-hmm. if I'm walking around by myself. Somebody says like, well, why do you do it that way? And you often you're like, well, wait a minute. I never thought about <laughs> why I yeah. do it that way or how I got to be yeah. the way that I am or how I spun up this passion and went down this path. New hunters ask you things that you never would have thought to examine and in doing so make you better at what you're, what you're up to, whatever it might be. You know? So to me, I, I preach that all the time. Just what you guys are saying is, is it makes you better. It feels good on a human level. I mean, it really does. And, and the, the relationships are forged. Like, like I mentioned earlier, I, I have not seen them fall apart. I've only seen them kind of help create these communities. When I was a kid, there were hunting clubs. My dad would pay a fee and we would go to a lodge and there would be a property and a shooting range. And there was this place you could go and sit at a bar and you would know around the table were other hunters. You knew it. Like there was, that's what the point of the whole thing was. Um, and mm-hmm. I hope we can start to reform some of those ideas. We're not going to do it um, tangibly, but we're going to do it in the ways that we can digitally and then, and then getting people together. Um, Cause I think that's an important part of yep. it too. But yeah, what you got, what you guys described is what I love is you just create a community yeah. out of thin air, all based on this idea of hunting. So Ben, how do people um, like get involved with hunting common? Yeah, we got a, a thing on our website called get involved. Um, Perfect. It's, it's easy. So yeah, no, the huntingcommon.org is the website uh, you go to, you can read how we got started. You can also read kind of the origin story um, in volume nine of modern huntsman, which is out right now. Uh, I wrote a piece about Nuri and Jordan, who I mentioned here, and kind of what they went through and, and what we went through and how we formed. Uh, but, yeah, you can go read about that. You can read some mentor stories we have on the website. Um, you can go to Get Involved, and you can fill out the form. You give us your information. You say whether you want to be a mentor or a mentee, where you live. And we have actual people uh, in most places that will get that email, respond to you in time, and, and set up with you how to connect with our chapter social media pages, which are on Facebook, most of them. And then you're going to introduce yourself and you're going to have a community of people that, that introduce themselves back. And we hope to uh, automate it and get better at those connections and uh, create a better funnel mm-hmm. for people to enter into. Um, and we're doing it slow because we just don't – last thing I want to do is have someone with a huge interest in hunting and come to us take the step to come to us and then we screw it up or we don't respond or we don't follow through. Yeah. And so we're, we are kind of obsessively growing slow. We have, we really are focusing mm-hmm. on California, Wisconsin, which have been our two hugely uh, popular and growing chapters. And then we had, like I said, we have leaders in, I want to say at least 30 to 35 other States who are growing their chapter to kind of get to the level where California, Wisconsin got on their own. Um, and we're out there making relationships and trying to raise money to, to build those local chapters. 
Um, and you know, we just need your contact information and we need to know what you're, what you want, um, which one of the two things that you want to provide. And then, uh, our, our folks will take it from there. We're lucky enough to have somebody in almost every state that's interested in helping with this. Um, it's incredibly imperfect. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, can be frustrating as I'm sure you guys know with trying to get people's schedules and times and things like that. But, um, we're seeing it work and, and we're going to start in earnest this fall, bringing all these other states online to where we can really be confident that if someone in say Nebraska or Texas or Colorado, you know, wants to go hunting and they come to us that they're gonna for sure get, um, a good response, a helpful individual, a phone call, uh, a zoom meeting, you know, a chance to attend, uh, a happy hour, something, something of that nature. And so we're, we've been doing this for not even a year yet. It'll be a year in November that we've been officially doing it. Um, and so, man, it's fun to see every time we get it right. Um, but we're working to, to raise funds and become a real organization so we can, can get it right at scale. Yeah. We've, uh, we've had some of the new business growing pains and we've been, I mean, we've put a lot of personal money and time into it (laughs) more than, I mean, we probably should at some points, but just like our passion, it's funny. Like I was talking to a guy at a big hunting, uh, event and he just like, I was explaining him newhunter.org and like, we don't, it's a totally free platform. Like we don't charge people to be on there. Um, like if, if you wanted to learn to hunt, you could go on there, find your state. And we still have some states that don't have a mentor, but you could find a majority of the states. You can find a mentor, contact him for free, like them for free. It's like totally, you could, I mean, you could have hunting a great hunting mentor and friend for totally free. And it's like the guy couldn't get across. I couldn't get across to him that I'm like, we're not making money on this yet. Like he's like, he couldn't understand that. Like, how are you spending time and your money and your resources on this when you're not like making a lot of money off? And I'm like, dude, we're not there yet. And it's our passion. And we just think it's a good thing to do. <laughs> like that's literally it. When we hear the, like these success stories and stuff, it's like, I don't care if it's, if it's just a lot of work. I mean, there's just, we're going to keep doing it. Hopefully kind of like, like what you were saying, like hopefully it can grow into that, but just like, yeah, it's a good thing yeah. at its heart, and we're just going to go from there. That's- I don't know about you guys, but I've never started a nonprofit on a whim before. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know if everybody listening to this might think, oh, yeah, people are just doing this all the time. I have never done it. Yeah. This yeah. is my first experience. But I can tell you that everybody, when we started, everybody was a listener of my podcast, and, and many of them now are my friends. Many of them now I hope to go hunting with mm-hmm. this fall. So my personal thing is like, man, I'm just chasing – I'm chasing to feel good. I'm chasing what, what feels right. I'm chasing all yep. the, uh, being in the media space, you're often kind of, you're, <laughs> you have to care what the audience thinks, but, it, but sometimes that, that screws up the content that, that it's not as pure mm-hmm. as you want it to be. It's not, not quite, mm-hmm. um, it feels quite algorithmic that way. You know, you're, it's, it's a feedback loop. Um, yep. and it's good with this. And I, I'm sure you guys agree. It sounds like you do that, that, I don't feel competitive. I don't feel as if mm-hmm. the success is numbers and some sort of like, you know, endemic strategy. It just, I'm doing it because when I, like the things that I do that are the best is when I wake up in the morning and I think about it, it gives me energy to get up and get going and be better. And so the nonprofit is definitely that for me. Um, and you know, every problem doesn't seem as big a deal because it's, 
it's just one small roadblock to get to where I want to be, which is, you know, in a room with a bunch of people that, that have never done it, want to do it. Um, and that we can help. So I appreciate what you guys are doing a lot. I've been following along. Um, you know, it's, it's needed. It is, it really is when you, when you think back on your own work in our industry. And again, I was telling somebody earlier today, I grew up in the outdoor industry. I was 22. I'm 36. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm, I was a, my frontal lobe only developed about halfway through my career. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, like I, I know what it's kind of like to grow up in this industry itself. And so I'm, I was lucky enough to have some perspectives in my mid thirties that some people maybe didn't get till later on in their careers or in their lives. And so I feel mm-hmm. lucky, I feel lucky to be in this place now because I feel like I got a lot of time um, to put to this and a lot of time to solve whatever comes from it um and so i mm-hmm. yeah and again i've made a ton of friends just just through this that i never would have otherwise and um now i actually can hunt almost in every state with any with a with a, with a guy <laughs> so on a personal level yeah. that feels pretty good um yeah that's awesome so yeah i mean it, it it is just um it's it's been a special random thing that happened in my life that i didn't see coming but i wasn't about to let walk by you know for me mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, right now we're going to get into some listener questions here. We only have a couple of them um, I, I chose out of. So um, first one is the your best advice for planning your first DIY elk hunt. What you got? Jeez, jeez, jeez. Um, I'll say this. We live, we're living in the, go, the good old days of doing that. Whatever mm-hmm, you're – For sure. Whatever your goals are, which I think of my first piece of advice is make your goals clear. Don't take on anyone else's goals. Don't see somebody on Instagram or hear their podcast and take on their goals. Make your own. Like don't, there's people Mm -hmm. that have skills that you'll never have probably that I'll never have. Um, Their goals cannot be your goals. So do not, do not ingest someone's content and take on their worldview of elk hunting. Don't do it. Make up your own. Um, start be where you are which is important to say that you're in the golden age of learning how to hunt there's things like go hunt insider where you can do all your scouting and there's tag draws and there's numbers and there's there's mapping systems Uh, there's elk 101 is its own website where you can learn all the knowledge of all uh, somebody like Corey jacobson who is one of the best elk hunters to live um you know selfishly i have a podcast with all those guys where we tried to lay it out there and we tried to say there's eight episodes of our show Wallow and the first three aren't about hunting at all. They're about natural history. They're about ecology and biology. Mm-hmm. They're about defining why we love this so much and what it means to be an advocate for the resource. Um, so I would say, you know, set your goals, make the goals your own, and then go take on these resources because they're everywhere. Um, it never used to be like that. You could be, 20, 30 years ago, you could pick up a magazine, you could watch a TV show, you could read a book, but it was pretty sparse in terms of how you could learn to hunt. Now, um, there I just listed a few, but there are, are many others um, where you can really learn how to do these things. Um, the flip side to that coin, I would say, is there is a lot of information out there, maybe too much. Don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, be Start where you are. Learn. Uh, 
what an elk is, why it wants to be where it's going to be, um, what, how it got to be where it is, why it's important to understand it, how to think of it as a resource inside of this larger structure that, that we operate into, get that perspective first and then, you know, do the work as it's prescribed by, by folks like Remy Warren and folks like Corey Jacobson and Randy Newberg and others. Um, they're, they're out there for you and they're, they're giving you the path. Um, but you really have to be self-aware and you really have to understand that you're probably going to fail. Um, I think it's 10 to 12, maybe some states will say 15% success rate for an archer elk hunt. So you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. If you succeed on the first one, you, you know, go bet, go bet a pony that day. There <laughs> you go. Yeah. Go bet on the I sports saw, game. I, I saw a recent, uh, like Colorado's like latest stats were OTC cow or bull was 6%. And I was like, so like my social media right now is showing like 50%, you know? So, uh, hundred percent on mine. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I know this bull and I'm looking at this, I'm looking I'm like, I wound this bull. I'm sitting there sulking and I'm like, Oh, look at that guy. Mm-hmm. Look at that guy. Uh, <laughs> they're better yeah, than me. They're better than me. So I, yeah, I, that is, that is, I think for new hunters and, and folks that are doing something like that, you have to understand the, what you're trying to accomplish and what other people make it look like. I met uh, a German guy one time in an elk camp and he had never, he had followed, I won't n- name the individuals that he followed cause that would be unkind, but there was, he had followed some very popular mm-hmm. hunting personalities and that's his entire context of hunting. He was from New York city. His entire context of hunting was that. And, um, he wounded an animal and he was like in his, I can't do a German accent, so I won't try. But in his German accent was explaining to me that he had never seen that before. That he didn't understand that that was even a thing and that he didn't consider that he wouldn't just kill the first thing that walked in. Um, that's probably, most people I think can think a little bit beyond that and aren't rushing into it like that. Mm-hmm. But I think um, your expectations have almost everything to do with your satisfaction at the end of the day. Um, and so, yeah. OTC elk hunt, set those expectations uh, very, very rigidly and, and think about that a lot, quite a lot before you go. That's good advice. Yeah, I mean, we're at our, this will be our sixth year of, of oh, like basically hunting over the counter. You had a draw this year, but it's like you'll most likely shoot the first elk that is in range. Oh, yeah. I was talking it's to like, the wife about it last night. She like, she says if I pass a cow, like she's going to be very upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I, I said the only case I'm going to pass cows if like I'm working a bull really hard and a cow shows up, I'd probably pass. Likely. Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. yeah. Shoot that cow, man. Yeah. Shoot it. I, yeah. I, like I said, yeah. I'm, I'm like standing a hundred yards from a giant bull. And I know he's giant. I've been hunting him. I know where he lives, but I'm not, t- I'm not going to pass up a six point that walks in, you know, it's, it's yeah. just, yeah. it's an expectation thing. Uh, it really is, man. And, and I've seen so many people get wrapped up in, in other people's worldview of, of, of elk hunting, especially turkey hunting seems, mm-hmm. turkey hunting seems to be just it's so approachable and the expectations just aren't there. There isn't giant antlers growing out of a turkey's head. Thank the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. and they're not in Yellowstone and people aren't taking pictures of them and they're just, they don't have, right. They're, they're kind of ugly, poor bastards. Yeah. Um, so there just isn't the same kind of dogma around turkeys or squirrels or upland birds or whatever. But when you get into elk hunting, it's going to happen. You're going to see other people succeed. You're going to think, oh, it's accessible. So there's, I'm going to find elk. I, I, 
I would say 50 to 75% of you don't even find elk. And if yep. you find them right away, good yep. for you. You've done quite a service to yourself to give you to give yourself an opportunity to be around them. So uh, expectations, yep. man. So <clears throat> number two is which states give you some of the best OTC tags for elk and muleys. But, I mean, that's kind of a, a dwindling opportunity. But maybe, I mean, maybe in your eyes, which ones give – just best opportunity you could say for actually being able to hunt in the, that state. What would you say? Boy, I want to say Montana, but I'm not going to say that. Uh, it's yeah. awful here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't want to No, I, I really do think it used to be, it's kind of shifted, right? It used to be Colorado. When I first mm-hmm. started coming out mm-hmm. West to hunt, Colorado was like the bastion of over the counter tags. They, yeah. as, as most uh, states experience, you see, you see this in flux of hunters, you see, predation and different factors and population dynamics. So then you shut down parts of parts of that and take, take away a lot of those over the counter tags as they have. Same things happen in Idaho. Idaho was then kind of next up in the over the counter world. Mm-hmm. Um, for even when I moved to Montana, Idaho was like, just drive over and grab a tag. It'll be great. Um, yep. now that is very much not the case in Idaho. Their regulations are, are insanely frustrating. Um, so I would say there's there's lotteries in New Mexico and other places like that that I always look at. I mean it's it's truly put in and happens at random. Yep. Um, yeah. But I do think states like Montana and Wyoming are still, although you're not going to get an over the counter tag and and you might get a leftover tag or or a B tag or something like that in those states. There's there's quite the once you do draw, you're going to get a wide swath of the state or a really productive unit to hunt. So I do think that, that the reality is it's, it's a shifting baseline um, of what state that you want to go to and, and chase elk. And it's also a shifting baseline where elk actually are um, Pennsylvania, yep. Kentucky, many of the famous um, reintroduction stories. So it's hard. It's, it's way harder to answer that question than it would have been five years ago. Five years ago, I could have said, I could have told you yeah. unit by unit exactly what to do. Um, mm. So, you know, now I'm a resident of a Western state and I pay a very small fee to go and hunt. You know, I think it's like 94% of the state is, is general here. Um, so it's against, it's against the, uh, the Western mindset to advertise your own state as a place to go. But I do think Montana, exactly. I think, I do think Montana has, once you get in the door, once you're able to draw a tag, um, a general elk and deer combo tag, you have a whole lot of place, you know, a whole lot of beautiful uh, landscapes to, to explore. So it's getting harder, man. And that's why, like I said, I, I really, I do believe like if you're going to use, if you're going to start with this, you really should put the money into something like go hunt or a similar platform. Yeah. You really should. It really, mm-hmm. it really answers those questions um, and, and, and specifics and helps you understand how that shifting baseline is working. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. Final one I'll hit you with is one item in your pack that you'll always have in the back country. You could, I mean, I don't know if it's different for your, who, I mean, what animal you're chasing, but like just kind of a, a general item. Yeah. General item. I, I kind of have, I don't kind of have, I have, you know, different kits within my, obviously you're going to have a medical kit, right? Yep. You shouldn't ever you just shouldn't step foot on the back 40 without some sort of access yep. to medical equipment 
whether it's I carry, yeah. I, I took some some um, backcountry medicine classes and stuff, and I never carried a tourniquet until I took those classes. And they were like, I don't care if it's a day hunt, I don't care if you're 30 minutes from your house, you should have a tourniquet. It, like an emergency, yeah. emergencies sure. don't only happen in the backcountry; they they happen everywhere. So I do think, in general, that's something that over the years. I've learned and I've added and refined my backcountry kit. We just did in this room a couple of weeks ago for Wallow. We did a three and a half, almost about three hours with Ryan Lampers on his pack dump for backcountry elk hunts. It was insane. Mm-hmm. It was insane. It cost me like a thousand dollars because I he was like, "You should buy this and you should buy this and you should have this and you should have this." I'm like, "All right, man, <laughs> let's go." Sure. Um, but in terms of you know, in terms of one item, I would say. You're, you're invariably going to need to prepare for what goes wrong with your gear. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, two is one and one is none, you know, like two headlamps or a headlamp and some batteries. But even if you're carrying batteries and you break that headlamp, you can't put the batteries in a broken headlamp. Um, so yep. essential gear is two is one is one is none. And then also understanding um, when it comes to gear, the idea, this is a military idea of first line and second line gear. First line gear being the stuff is attached to your body. Um, that you're not going to take off during the day. And the second line gear would be like your pack, something that you're going to take off at some point. Um, but your first line gear would be your bino harness, whatever you're wearing that's attached to your person. Uh, it's important to understand what you have in there um, and and what it could be used for should you leave your pack behind or whatever. Um, so those concepts are important. But, yeah, just I, I'll say just quickly, we were hiking around the other day and um, – I had a buddy of mine with me, Sam Lundgren, who hosts co-host Wallow, and mm-hmm. I rammed my quiver into a tree, cl- crawling up a hill, trying to get after some elk, and it cracked it in half. So I had exposed broadheads, and I was over there. I didn't bring any tape that would have fixed that problem, but he had some gorilla tape, and so instead of I was like trying to paracord this thing back together, <laughs> like, an <idiot. laughs> yeah. like an idiot. And he walked over. He's like, "Would you like some tape?" I was like, "Yeah, I would. I would like some tape." <laughs> so would be nice. That's what the, the point being. I usually carry tape, and that I didn't have it in that case. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's the kind yep. of gear that is going to make or break going home or staying out. Yeah, yeah. Our our kit kind of changes depending on where we're going to be at. Like when we're hunting South Dakota, and you like, I know at some point we're going to have a rattlesnake within like 10 feet of us. <laughs> like at some point we just hunt that kind of ground. We need to have, have that stuff. And when we find it Idaho, it's like, we need to have possibly sidearm for sure. Bear spray, like things like that. Those things come and go in our packs, but I mean, kind of have yep. to know where you're headed for sure. Like yeah. so. I have these little, I have an archery gear tool that has Allen wrenches and I have a yep. firearm gear tool. that has like a little uh, choke tube tool and a bunch of other things. You know, and so to me, just also having having an Allen wrench set when you're bow hunting, you know, let's say your quiver falls off. Let's say your sight gets loose. Let's say, and you're, yep. now you have the opportunity either to somehow improvise an Allen wrench, which I don't know what you would do, or go back to the truck or go home or whatever the case might be. But if you have mm-hmm. a, if you've got an mm-hmm. Allen wrench with you, if you got some string wax, if you got some rail lube, just little things, if you have those things, mm-hmm. um, it keeps you out there longer and, and should something arise where you need to fix something, you can do it. And I guarantee folks you're packing around with are going to appreciate the hell out of you. If you're pulling out tape and mm-hmm. paracord and, and just little things that they didn't think of, yep. um, you know, weight is always an issue if you're going far, but man, that 
right. it's almost like that weight becomes more important the further you go because the further you are back in, yep. the more that threatens your ability to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Thomas, I don't know if you've got anything else. I'm through my yeah. through my list of stuff. Ben, seriously awesome to chat with you. Um, man, we'll just have to stay up to date on everything you got going on because I would love to how somehow be able to mesh some new org stuff and hunt and common things if we can help you guys out however we can. Um, that whole thing is just awesome. I, I, whenever I see like more, I don't know, more fire in the mentorship world, I just get jacked up. Love seeing it. Yeah, yeah so. absolutely. Uh, turkeys sound good though. That the, the, uh, yeah. the idea to get together this <laughs> yeah, spring dude. for sure. And yeah, no, I I, I really mm-hmm. do. Thanks for having me on, and I appreciate what you're doing. And yeah. and man, um, there's nothing, it there's nothing like sharing those resources and figuring out how we can work together. So I'm I'm right. I mean it when I say we're we're all fully done. fully into it. And man, if we can make a new hunter coalition with all our different groups, hunters of color, and mm-hmm. I don't know, I can list right. a bunch of them off. They're out there doing the same thing, man. It would be cool. I think it would be be helpful for everybody to just talk about the challenges and figure it out. Yeah. Awesome.